DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Time to bring in Craig Bowlerjack, TV voice of the Utah Jazz. Bowler's weekly interview presented by University of Utah Health, trusted health care provider for the Utah Jazz family, and yours. Bowler, good morning. Hey, DJ, PK, what's up? Hey. Well, we got a lot of NBA stuff to talk to you about, but first, I know you're a Chiefs fan. My, condol- <laughs> my condolences. Yeah, Why didn't yeah. Andy Reid run the ball in the start of the game? They run for seven yards, they run for eight yards, and then the guy calling the game says, uh, the Raiders are one of the worst run defenses in the league. They give up over 130 yards per game. And I'm thinking, okay, well, this is pretty simple. And then they are getting shut uh, 24 at the half, but they're getting shut out in the third quarter and early in the fourth. I'm thinking, run the ball. Run the ball. They did not run the ball. They threw the ball. Mahomes got caught with some uh, blitz pressure. And then, as you know, the Chiefs' defense kind of cracked like a nut. And um, I tell you, the Raiders were better than I thought. They they just seemed to be more in tune, had a better game plan than Kansas City. You know, last year in the Super Bowl run, they lost three straight home games at Arrowhead, which is insane, unheard of, and another home loss uh, on on Sunday. So, um, maybe a motivator to take them off uh, that Super Bowl high, I would think. Bring them back down to earth a little bit and reevaluate. But yeah, I was surprised. I really was. Um, uh, you know, it's it's Patrick Mahomes is such a good, incredible, talented quarterback, and I think sometimes you get a little more enamored with him uh, just working the offense instead of staying with a game plan. I mean, that's kind of the way I felt. You know, it's. The focus is on him rolling out, slingshots it. I mean, he's got an incredible arm, but he's still got a game plan. And it just didn't seem like it worked one bit. One bit. You find a little parallel, though, with uh, KC and what happened and with BYU and what happened. Yeah, that's a good point, man. Um, You know, what was the spread on that game? 35? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it turned out to be a touchdown. Sure, I mean, and you know, it's it's it happens every week, uh, multiple times, whether it's college, NFL, uh, NBA, where you think it's going to be a walk in the park, and a team like University of Texas San Antonio says, no, no, you know what, we're better than you think, and they they motivate, and uh, the other team decides they don't play, have to play as hard. We see it all the time. Uh, but yeah, there's some parallels there. Uh, I, I really believe that it's hard to keep that that focus, the energy. You believe in your, you know, the hype and all the all the talk and social media feeds the beast, right? Uh, this is another. I, I'm I'm anxious to see what BYU is all about this week. You know, at, at Houston, um, next couple of weeks. In fact, you want to, you know, what you want to finally see competition. Finally, BYU should probably really up their game uh, in that regard, in the sense of of the fight of who they have to take on over the next couple of weeks. And, uh, uh, you know, so we'll see. And for the Chiefs, we'll see what the bounce-back ability is and, and the control Andy Reid has on his team in the locker room, too. So when you talk about bringing it all the time and sustained greatness, it's a little bit of apples and oranges, but it does get me thinking of LeBron back in the finals again, 9 yeah. out of 10, a fourth title, and still – 
crushing it at 35. And I know other players have been great late in their career, and other guys have played big minutes, but there haven't been many players who are this good at this age after this many years in the NBA playing this many minutes. And, and maybe Kareem, you know, but the guys who did it, like Robert Parrish was good for a long time, but he didn't carry his team. Jordan didn't actually play at the age of 35. That was after beating the Jazz. 35 would have been the 99 season that he sat out, I think. Right. Um, so they're just, we're, we're really getting where there aren't comparables for what LeBron's pulling off. No, you know, the, those who are Jordan fans versus LeBron fans and, you know, the GOAT status, I mean, you've got the three-peats, and I, I read that argument yesterday, which was uh, interesting, uh, you know, three in a row twice, and LeBron has jumped around uh, to different teams, but also the argument of being able to gather other uh, different teammates and make them into champions, you know, as well. You know, I watched him, you know, in game six, and I, I, I really, I mean, watched the entire series, but, you know, his power, guys, is insane at 35, going on 36. The speed's still there. The, the running downhill, the attack mode, you can't do anything once he gets loose in the open floor and he dominates you. And you could tell, again, you, you know, you, you back off because you know the foul's going to come. Uh, you know, he lives his, he's lived his life like Carl Malone uh, at the free throw line. Power will do that. And, and you saw so much strength that you just cannot corral, man. And you make a great point, the age, but the way he takes care of himself and still the mental attitude of, of hunger uh, to go out and, and win a championship. Three times now, three different cities, four overall, and another finals MVP, by the way. That was I really thought maybe it leaned to AD's way, but in Game Six, I think it swayed uh, the voters. And uh, Davis played extremely well in the finals as well. But man, uh, I don't know how it slows him down. I don't know if it if he, you know, I, I, the rumor is in the league he wants to play until his son Bronny joins him for a year, and I think that puts him at what around thirty-seven, maybe thirty-eight. So. We'll see if that actually that wish comes uh, comes true. But if anybody's going to do it, it'll be LeBron. It was sensational. There's no question about that. Uh, one of the things that you look at the Lakers is guys like I know Green missed the shot, uh, but yeah. he's a veteran. Rajon Rondo, veteran, just came up huge. Dwight Howard, even Morris. So really, no rookies to speak of. And as I look at it as the Jazz, we saw what they did last year. And they actually done it uh, a couple of times, you know, a few years back when they brought in Johnson and D.L., George Hill, uh, this past season with Green, Moutier. They've gone the veteran route, right? Right. And to me, if you're in win mode now, that is the way to go. Now, a couple of those things, Green, he was gone early. Moutier sort of got uh, time a little bit and then went to the bench and all that stuff. But I still think that's the way to go is to augment your roster with veteran guys who just like the Joe Johnsons, he's coming in here with the idea of helping you win. That's the only agenda. How much do you think they're going to buy into that to try to do that again, to flush out the roster, get some more depth with veteran guys? Because I know they've got all these second-round dudes that they've had and they're trying to develop too, so it's an interesting balance. 
You know, I tell you, PK, it's a great discussion because you know you've got the veterans as you as was as we know, and the and the trade in midseason last year for Clarkson was just a huge uh, lift uh, for the Jazz bench. But you know what? You've also got three players that you know that the Jazz have quite intrigued. You know, they're intrigued with with Tucker, Brantley, and Oni. I'm not sure where they play into this, but I'm with you. You can still have one or two of those young players. But yet that one missing piece uh, most likely is going to have to come as a veteran free agent, right? So what do you give up? Did you develop those three guys and push them to another team to help sweeten the deal? Do you keep one that you really have your eye on? Oni intriguing. Tucker's very physical uh, player that sometimes makes you go, wow. I mean, that guy can you know, maybe contribute. And that's what the Jazz do pride themselves on, as you both know, and development of players. Uh, but I still think, again, you can develop to a certain point, but you have to have solid, bona fide veteran player to make that next step. And I think that's where the Jazz are. How they do it, DK, is another another question. You know, do they jump the cap? Do they actually pay the max money to Rudy or back off and still have extra cash to pay for that one other piece? Does Rudy buy in? Uh, and what does Donovan how does Donovan dominate the conversation, too? Uh, do they allow him uh, input? My guess is absolutely. So um, it, it's still, it, it may be a short off season, but it sure is going to be interesting once the draft happens. Uh, do they use the 23rd pick? Is there a kid, Arizona, Washington? Both those players are intriguing, but do they push you to the higher level in the West, which is so damn com- competitive? And it's not going to change, by the way. Uh, LeBron's not going anywhere anytime soon, and uh, they're going to get a new coach in L.A. with the Clippers. Uh, and you still got, you know, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard sitting right there. So it's going to be, it's really going to be intriguing. It's, it's, a, it's a rough road to the top, no question. Rough road. The Warriors are back, baby. That'll uh, that'll help. Uh, yeah, that'll make thanks, it more competitive. Thanks for reminding us, right? Yeah, right. it will. But you're right. I mean. What if what if uh, Antetokounmpo heads that way? I mean, what's going to happen with Milwaukee? Does the East slide a bit? Uh, does he decide to bolt? It's going to be. Uh, it should be there. I think there'll be movement, but at the same time, the salary cap and what the players' association and the league comes up with on what money is there and how do they how do they do this? How do they work through COVID and the loss of income? Uh, how do players decide? Do they sign one-year deals? Do they decide to play and roll the dice and just get one-year contracts and then see if the the, the cap jumps itself uh, to another level again? So some gambling going on uh, in the sense of I think probably you'll see uh, uh, some players decide to, to, to gamble and what the agents think is best for that client. So Hang on, it should be it should be interesting, and we always say that, but this one is even more so because money drives it, and if the salary cap and isn't it, isn't what it should be or what you know the uh, the ownership group again is going to argue their their losses come into play. Uh, this is going to be quite a discussion uh, before it's all said and done. So when you look at the what the Jazz have to do in the off season. 
And, and every team has to do stuff. There's just no question about it. It's a never-ending job, even for the Lakers, you know, resigning Anthony Davis and, and Rondo and can opt out and all this stuff. So it doesn't matter who you are. Some teams have bigger jobs because they have existing talent. But when you're looking at it, what do you think is the best way, well, not the best way to attack it, but the most important way or the most important thing that they need to get done, I should say? You know, PK, I think it starts with what they have to spend, and that's after they take care of Donovan and Gobert, and then you can really discuss what what direction they go. I think it's important if Rudy, you know, wants to win a championship, the Jazz have got to be real about the decision about a max contract, right? It's the super max. And, uh, you know, we have talked about Gobert. We know his his strengths and weaknesses. And I only think there's four or five guys in the league that deserve that type of cash. And Rudy is on the cusp, but yet limited offensively. So that's, that, that's just me. I mean, I, I love the guy and I love the way he plays, but I think again, sometimes the frustration with uh, the offense kind of runs through Gobert when the ball has to be totally delivered, you know, right on the target on that lob high pass to the rim. He's incredibly effective. Uh, as you know, it's 70% from the floor. But again, can you take it outside? What we saw with Jokic kind of gives you the idea of the diversity that the Jazz may need more of. Uh, is there another big that can do that? Um, is Tony Bradley going to be uh, a bigger player? Uh, is he tradable? Uh, all those things come into play, uh, PK. And also you just need another guy that can stretch the floor and defend. And hit, and obviously this league is all about what three ball. It's it's you got to hit the outside three, or it really can um, you know, in a way hinder, suffocate, use whatever uh, action verb you want. But it's 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 true. I mean, gosh, it's it's an amazing thing what the three point shot can do in this league. And you know, Locke talks about it. I still think the mid mid range game has purpose and and has impact. Uh, you look at Jamal Murray in Denver. The guy still has, you know, he, he can do it really all, but he has a good mid-range game and can take it outside as well. So, uh, PK, I think a, a wing guy who can stretch and, and another defender, a big, who can also go outside and hit a, and spread the floor even more for Donovan. You know, watching the playoffs just reinforced the thought that the most important thing is how good is your star player. So what is Donovan Mitchell's ceiling? How much is he going to improve next year? And how much is he going to improve over, you know, two or three years? The next most important thing is how good are your second and third players? Rondo made the Lakers look a lot better. And obviously, A.D. Yeah. already referenced how good he was. And then uh, a little bit to the depth and the coaching. But as we watch the coaching carousel, you know, Frank Vogel is now he's on top of the world, right? Because right. he had LeBron. He sure. was in Indiana, and in three straight playoffs, they lost to the Heat in six games, in seven games, and in six games. He didn't have LeBron. So I, I'm entertained by the coaching carousel, and we're all intrigued with who gets the Clippers job. But, you know, Frank Vogel is losing the Heat three years in a row, and then Paul George gets hurt, and they're a lottery team. And George comes back, but it's a first year back, and he's not all the way back. Get knocked out in the playoffs, and Vogel gets fired. So tell me how good Donovan's going to be. <laughs> Tell me well, if getting back a guy who is arguably your third best player, who you didn't have all the way through the playoffs, how much does that? I mean, on any given night, the Jazz third best player might be a different guy. But yeah. most well, nights, the Jazz are missing their third best player. Yeah, That's the most Bogey, important stuff. Bogey does help, obviously. 
and the Jazz were able to Quinn's credit. Should have closed out Denver 3-1, didn't happen. I mean, the Clippers are saying it's the same thing. Should have, but didn't. Uh, so, again, you, you leave with now players saying that's a motivator. Well, it better be, uh, in my opinion. But, PK, look, i, I got to get you into this because the, the other part of this conversation is do you now make a move, even though you have Mike Conley for one more year, when does Donovan, does he become – your primary ball handler. Is he the point guard? At 6-1, after everyone went back and, uh, and were put back up on the scale and were uh, most players shrunk one or two inches, Donovan lost, you know, went from 6-3 to 6-1. It's a small backcourt, right, for the Utah Jazz with Conley. So that's, that's something that's intriguing to me is a lot of talk about is Donovan Mitchell the future of the Jazz at the point position, and do you, do you find yourself another two-guard? So, you know, I, that's interesting to me because what does that do to his game, and does that make him more a facilitator, or is he more now driver, get to the free-throw line? I mean, can he still pull up and pop a three? Absolutely. But he has the ball in his hands, and I think there's been times we've seen when he's more ball dominant, along with Joe Ingles, the the Jazz seem to be pretty productive on the offensive end. So I think that's another discussion the Jazz are going to have as well. Uh, do they make a move? Uh, do they wait until the contract of Conley runs out? That's a pretty expensive backup point guard, right, if you don't start him, but also uh, maybe a more dynamic bench. But those are big decisions, man, that I don't make. But it's intriguing to see if, if when, when and if Donovan – you know, is given the ball to run the show. Bowler, we'll leave it there. We appreciate the time. Good luck to your Chiefs. I mean, undefeated was great, but now you're <laughs> four and one playing another four and one team in the Bills, who also were undefeated. You, you better not be four and two. Big game, no, Bowler. Big no. game. Big game. Big big game. Take a breath and maybe come off the high, and you get back in. Maybe that first loss you have to lose, right? So maybe that's the one that you say, let's just go back and play football. That's what I'm hoping. Enjoy your Monday afternoon football. And uh, Monday. Uh, great Cosell. Yeah, Good job. Not really. All right. <laughs> See you <laughs> later, you Bowler. Thanks a lot. Yep. Greg Bowlerjack checking in. DJ and PK coming up next. It's BYU and it's Houston. How good are the Houston Cougars? Matt Thomas used to work in Utah. Now he's in Houston. He's the pregame host for Houston Football Broadcast. And we'll talk with him next about the Cougars and the Cougars. Stay with us. Nothing else matters, fellas. Every day we go to work. Football is back, and the Zone Sports Network has you covered as the Cougars continue to bulldoze through their schedule and the Utes and Aggies get set for the start of their season. You gotta go faster, faster! Nobody will bring you better coverage of your team than the Zone Sports Network. This is your home of the best college football coverage in Utah. Turn me up all day! 97.5-1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Question of the morning. What level of confidence do you have? What's your confidence level that BYU beats Houston? Dionisio says 75%. Comes down to a few defensive drives by BYU, in my opinion. BYU can get a few extra second-half stops. We win this game for sure. Putting it all on the no defense. Defensive drives. I know, right? Possession. Defensive stops, not defensive drives. Yes. 
<laughs> the possessions, the stops are key. Did they get him in the second well, half? Well, what are we saying here? Is, and that's true, but is, is he saying that he has confidence in the offense to do its job so the defense needs to come through? Is that the point there? I think that's the point. He doesn't say, so uh, your guess is as good as mine, but I think we're thinking along the same lines. Okay. He's got I, – and I think what it comes down to is if you're a longtime BYU fan, when you hear a team has some top-end speed, you start to get nervous, you know. Can BYU play with a fast team? Yes. There's plenty of examples. BYU's won too many games and too many big games, too many Power 5 games, and yada, yada, yada. You know, if you're fast, great. Now, if you're very fast, now Cougar fans start to get a little nervous because they've seen guys run past their guys. They've super seen duper it. fast? Super duper. <laughs> I was scrolling through Twitter yesterday, and I'm following this new – this is classic, old-time football – and it's just, they've got videos and still photos, and, and some are historical and interesting, and some are just crazy and weird. But it was, uh, they had, it was some anniversary for Mark Duper. I don't know what it was. I thought, wow, I haven't thought of Mark Duper in a long time. Super Duper, Mark Duper. You know, some names just roll off the tongue. And for whatever reason, Duper is an awesome name for a wide receiver. Yeah, and Gerard Saltalamacchia was a great name for a catcher. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> All right, DJ PK, it is time to talk Cougars and Cougars with a guy who knows both Cougars. Matt Thomas joining us now. He used to work in Utah. Now he's in Houston. He's the pre pregame host for Houston Football Broadcast. He works at Sports Talk 790, and he joins us on the T-Mobile special guest line, T-Mobile and Sprint, coming together to build the best wireless company around. Visit T-Mobile.com for online services and local store availability. Matt, good morning. Good morning. I'm a special guest. I feel honored. Yes, you are. And we need to pump you for information because we watched the... the Astros? They won a game yesterday. <laughs> they did. Woohoo! <laughs> it's not a sweep. It's not a sweep. Uh, That's right. We watched Houston play Tulane, and for 20 minutes, it clearly looked like Houston's first game, and there were nerves, yep. and there were mistakes, and there were turnovers, and then they right. settled in, and Tulane blew a big lead to Houston, just like they blew a big lead to Navy, so we're kind of writing Tulane off and thinking, how good is Houston? What do you know? What can you tell yeah, us? Great, great question. Uh, I don't think Tulane is very good. Uh, Dana Holgerson does a weekly segment with me on my radio show here, and he just said that even Willie Fritz, the coach of the Green Wave, basically said that uh, U of H pushed him around in the second half. So physicality was a huge part of that. And I think that even Dana told me yesterday that that will not be the case with BYU uh, coming up on tomorrow night. So I would say that once the Cougars calmed down and actually realized there was actually a game to play, they just distorted him in the second half. you got to remember, boys, the Cougars, our Cougars, uh, have been trying to play a football game for over a month. Between cancellations and COVID testing, a um, variety of teams, they have been multiple canceled uh, and to the frustration of all of us that are followers of the program. So it was just nice to play a football game. It just got out to a really lousy start, falling behind 24-7. But once they calmed down, it was all Cougars in the second half. So one of the numbers that jump out of that game is receiver uh, Marquez Stevenson. He's the AAC yep. Player of the Week. Uh, 118 yards, uh, a kickoff return, which really is something that he does with uh, fairly decent regularity. So my thought for you is how good is he? 
Pat, he will be the most electrifying player on the field for the Cougars uh, in this game and has been for a better part of a year. Uh, he is, first of all, a terrific special teams player. He, to me, and this is what you'll notice tomorrow when you watch the game, he is great after the catch. He has a burst of energy that is just absolutely fantastic. Pro scouts have figured that out. His only problem is he sometimes has a hard time holding out of the football. Cough went up in the game against Tulane uh, last Thursday. So if he gets that under control, it's going to be fun to watch him move up and down the field. Uh, Dana told me yesterday that he ran probably on a long touchdown pass that, he threw, that Clayton Toon threw to him that it was the best route run he'd ever had in his short time at the University of Houston. So he is a dual-threat player. He will get to the end zone. You just don't want him to get in his own way by not holding out of the football. So Stevenson has the five catches for 118 yards. Those are the kind of numbers you look for when you're scanning a box score. But when I scan the box score... Nobody runs for 60 yards. Nobody other than Stevenson had passes uh, had passes count for more than 50 yards. Uh, Clayton Toon's 319 yards. Okay, that's a big round number. That jumps out of me. But this is this really Toon and Stevenson and then team and take what the yeah. defense gives you? Or is there yeah. another guy lurking that didn't have numbers in this game and could be big time against BYU? Um, I would keep an eye on Mobacar. He's had a good couple of years, had a couple of touchdowns yesterday. Uh, you know, as, as far as Dana's offense is concerned, it's more about the, the passing game than there's anything else. Kyle Porter was pretty good, but there's going to be nobody that you will see that you will go, oh, my goodness, BYU's defensive line's in a world of hurt. Uh, they will rotate probably six different running backs over the course of the game. That's how Dana's done it in the past, and I think he'll certainly do it here. Uh, for me, one thing to keep an eye on is Clayton Toons. Pretty good running quarterback, doesn't do it a lot. The only thing that's held him back in years past, guys, is the fact that he's also been injury-prone. So they like him to run. They're just really particular about when he does it. And you got to realize, this is a young man in Clayton Toon, the quarterback, that has never been a full-time starter because he's always been the second-team good team uh, on the backup ready to go whenever you need me. This is his first opportunity as a collegiate football player to be the guy, and I think he wants to be on the field as much as possible. So while I think it's really cool that he's able to run the ball and has done a very good job of it the last couple of years backing up a variety of different quarterbacks, it's been the injury. So to give you a long-winded answer, the running game will be good but not spectacular, but keep an eye on Tuna and what he can do and his capability. You speak of uh, guys being injury-prone, and I think Holgerson said there's a bunch of guys that are dealing with issues, and we yep. know that the games have been postponed. What's the state of the team as far as health goes? The last number I heard was 15 to 20. Now, again, yeah. guys, let's be honest. That could be a lot of coach speak there. Uh, as you know, they don't have to help for injury reports in, pro foot, in college football like you do in pro, so... When we get to the stadium tomorrow, it'll be, uh, as your guess is as good as mine, uh, what that is. Uh, from what I've been told, it's a lot of first game uh, soreness and what type of thing. It's not like, you know, uh, torn ACLs and concussions and shoulder injuries and whatnot. But to me, I, Pat, I was in the same spot when you were. When I heard that number, I was like, wait a minute. You're telling me one game against Tulane uh, in October cost you that much? So uh, that goes to what I think will probably happen with the rotation running backs. It feels like to me a lot of guys got their first looks and they very well could be the same situation this week. So if you're doing a depth turn in this game, which I don't know if your audience is or not, I'd have it wide open because there could be a lot of different players getting some playing time. 
So early this year, we saw BYU's offensive line just push people around and they ran the ball, but it might be, you know, to a degree level of competition. Uh, They do have the NFL looking at some guys, so they definitely have some talent there. How good is Houston's run defense? Uh, Peyton Turner is a guy that you will hear a bunch of in the game. He was all over the place. PFL, sacks, quarterback pressures, really stopping. Uh, Tulane had a streak, guys. I believe it was 36 games in a row where they had rushed for at least 100 yards. That was quashed last week. And so uh, I was very, very impressed. Uh, Grant Stewart is a guy that's moved around all over the place for the team defensively in the secondary and the linebacking court. He's got some of the longest hair you'll see in college football. You probably won't even see his number, but you will hear his name and you will see him in and around the ball all the time. Those are the two main guys for me, but I was highly impressed that Tulane could get nothing started, and then they basically gave up on it in the second half because they were down by so many points. So uh, not a huge test, but a good enough test to know that it was a pretty proud stat that the defensive side was really appreciative of is the fact that they were able to hold a pretty good Tulane running game under 100 yards. So where do you think BYU's offense can have the best success against this Houston defense? Get rid of the football quickly. Three steps and go. I mean, you guys would have a better indication to me than, than I would about whether that's a part of the offense. Frankly, Dana's more worried about your running game than anything else. And I, I was t- talking to him about the quarterback and how he's had very few drops and he's got different receivers to go to and, and talking about Romney and how uh, how tough of a worker he is. I listened to uh, Kalani's uh, conference call this week, and he was just bragging about him. That young man scares the heck out of me because those sneaky type of receivers have always caused the Cougars problems. And you guys got to realize this. We're not really used to having great uh, defenses at the University of Houston. If you go back three, four decades, it's been Veer under Bill Yeoman to the run and shoot with uh, Jack Pardee to what Tom Herman did and, and what now Dana's trying to do. So I would fully expect everybody from a skill position to have some success on both sides tomorrow. I think it comes down to turnovers. I think it comes down to whether, you know, who's on the field the longest. And, uh, you know, again, I think short, quick step drops because Peyton Turner did have some success pressuring the quarterback. And that's a name that I think will scare the BYU offensive line if he can get around those guys. So get rid of the football quickly, stay on the field. And I envision this to be a very high scoring game. You know, Houston had a pretty good decade and then everything kind of fell apart at 4-8 and eight last year. That was very unusual when you look at what they had been doing in the years leading up to that. Uh, what went wrong? Is there a big long-term issue that's, you know, or a big issue that's got to be fixed to turn that around? And if so, what is it and how can BYU exploit it? Wow. Great question. Uh, we've had a lot of coaches here, boys, in the last decade. I mean, Tom Herman, Tony Levine, Major Applewhite, now Dana Holgerson. And if you go before that, it was Kevin Sumlin and Art Brow. I mean, it has been a coaching factory. And unfortunately, and, you know, my audience, I'm in the middle of A&M and Texas territory. They know I'm a, a huge supporter of U of H. Unfortunately, my school has become a stepping stone. And I think Dana making the decision to leave West Virginia, a Power 5 school, to go to an American conference team. And by the way, he's the highest paid non-D1 or uh, non uh, Power five coach in the country was released yesterday. That's going to help. Stability is going to help. But last year was just a mess. Derek King uh, got off to a very sluggish start, and then the decision was made, well, why don't we use this new red shirt rule? Well, everybody said, this doesn't smell right. Derek King winds up finishing off the year. Clayton Two steps in, and then Derek King decides he wants to be the quarterback at the University of Miami. So 
I would say stability. I know that from the defensive side, they've had to go to a lot of junior college transfers. And as you guys know, that's not the way you build a program. But I think Dana's made in terrific inroads. I think the Cougars will be uh, back where they need to be among the top two or three in the conference. And I'll be selfish about this. The conference is really good. Uh, Cincinnati is very, very good. Central Florida is good. This is going to be a good league. I'd like to invite BYU if you'd like to come in. But I know that both you and I and our schools have uh, aspirations of bigger conferences. But it's, a, it's been a fun run. Uh, but I, I, I need some stability. And I think Dana, with the money and the, the tools and the new stadium that we've got here, that's now in play. And, and that would be probably the best thing is just having a coach here for five, six, seven years to kind of build the program as compared to where, he, where that next coach is going to go next. So BYU has played before nobody in four games, but I understand there's going to be some fans. How many? Uh, I think 10,000. And from what I understand, a lot of BYU fans are going to be at the game for some reason. So I've always thought the Cougars always travel well. But, uh, yeah, we're preparing for quite a few uh, blue and white fans to be in the stadium. Uh, TDUCU Stadium seats 40,000. There'll be probably 10 there. It'll be a glorious night. It'll be a great night for football. And uh, it's been weird, guys, I'll be honest with you, because – you, you, you try to you, you deflect from the artificial noise to the real noise, and sometimes you just don't hear much of either one. Uh, I don't think it's going to play a huge factor in it, honestly. Uh, but, yeah, there should be a good crowd, probably the biggest crowd of the season. It'll be the best road draw, uh, draw of any of the opponents the Cougars will see this year. Hmm. So uh, you're right in the middle of Big 12 country, and you saying that made me think of how awful the tackling has been in the Big 12. It's oh, multiple teams. Brutal. And a, and a lot of people have come forward and said it's because they didn't have the normal spring practice, they didn't have the no, normal summer camp, everything's been different, the defenses haven't been hitting and tackling, so instead of the defense is way ahead of the offense, for once it's the other way around. Is tackling a big problem for Houston? I can't give you a huge uh, answer on that because I've only seen them play one time. I didn't think there were a bunch of missed tackles. There were some missed coverages occasionally, especially in the first half. And granted, again, the Cougars gift wrapped 14 points playing in the first quarter with a couple of turnovers. So um, I, I would say right now, David, it's, that's an answer to be found in a, in a real game. I mean, no disrespect to Tulane, but BYU is a massive upgrading competition. So maybe you and I later in the year can have a further discussion about this. But I would not say that missed tackling was a huge problem. Watching OU in Texas last weekend, major problem. <laughs> yeah. How would you evaluate Houston's team speed? Because that's always been an issue for BYU in terms of defending it. Fantastic. Will cause BYU's defense a lot of problems. Keith Corbin's terrific as a manual here. I've already told you about Marcus Stevenson. Bryson Smith will get in involved in there. They've got a new kid, a redshirt freshman in Keandre Street, who moves up and down the field. That's the one thing that has been the trademark of the Houston Cougar receiving core going back to the run-and-shoot days of the late 80s is that this team – builds on speed, and uh, that should not be uh, something that I think BYU fans should look forward to. So putting Clayton Toon in an uncomfortable position, because Clayton Toon, guys, will turn the football over if you put him in an uncomfortable spot. So pass rush, front seven, has to be the number one thing that I think probably Coach Otaki is trying to tell his kids, because from a one-on-one angle, I I don't know of anybody in the secondary for BYU that's going to be able to stay with the Cougars for four consecutive quarters. So when you say uh, he'll turn the ball over, are you talking interceptions or is he vulnerable to the strip sack because you get a good hop there and that's a scoop and score? Probably more of the strip sack than anything else. And, again, I don't want to uh, downgrade who he is because Clayton's been fantastic. It's just 
there have been times that you do the, the head-scratching moments where he's trying to keep a, a drive alive or trying to avoid a sack and a ball gets loose. And that's the kind of thing that just – again, I, to me it's more about him having inexperience. I mean, he's been playing, you know, three, four games a year for basically three or four seasons. He's been hurt, backing up the Eric King, backing up other folks, and it's just never – he's never been consistently behind as the number one guy. So I hope as he plays more and stays on the field – that those types of mistakes will go away. And it just, it was kind of aggravating because here you are on the first drive against the Tulane the last Thursday night, you're about to score, and then he turns it over and Tulane's in the end zone shortly after that. So it was, once he got past that, I thought it was a huge maturity factor to how well he played, especially in the second half of that game. Well, Matt, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for coming on as a special guest. Call anytime. We'll talk Rockets Jazz back, I guess, what, March of next year, maybe? Something like that? I don't know. Hopefully. I, I, hes- I hesitate to predict and guarantee anything. Hopefully earlier, but, you know, whenever. Me too. Me too. All right. Thanks, Take Matt. Okay. Matt Thomas hosts the uh, pregame broadcast for the University of Houston. He used to work here in Utah, called the Ute Games for a while, and uh, he's at Sports Talk 790 now. All right, so there he is uh, talking a little BYU and a little Houston. Houston picked seventh in the America Athletic Conference coming off that 4-8 and eight season, but they just Detroit destroyed Tulane, who was picked sixth. We saw BYU destroy Navy, who was fifth. So, you know, him thinking they ought to be back in the top two or three with Central Florida and Cincinnati being really good, put Memphis and SMU in the mix somewhere in there. Uh, we'll see how good Houston is. I guess we'll know a lot more tomorrow night. Yeah, I mean, this is a very good conference, too. I agree with him. I think it's an excellent conference. If BYU were to join, it would bolster. Now I'm just speaking hypothetically, but I like what they've done, and I like what Sonny Dykes has done at SMU. How could you not? Right. And, and you know, Navy's somewhat of a wild card right now, but they're usually consistently good. And, and what's his face? Uh, the Ohio State guys down there at Cincinnati, his name's uh, Luke, Luke Fickle. Is, uh, he's done a great job, uh, and obviously the Florida school has been very, very good. So uh, you compete in the top two or three of that. I think right now, I think it's better than the Mountain West. I don't know that you can really argue that. And they've been getting the New Year's Six Bowls away from the Mountain West. It's been a little while now. It's been a, it's been a hot minute since uh, Boise State got into one of those New Year's Six Bowl games, and nobody else in the league has been able to pull it off. So Right. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Your feedback on today's show coming up next. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. Let's go. The Big Show. It's a big deal. With Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. The columnist for the Oregonian, John Canzano, with us. I talked to people who were there when the Pac-12 network was formed. They tried with ESPN. They tried with Fox. They even tried with the Discovery Channel. And there were no takers. Nobody was interested in the Pac-12 content at that time. So the Pac-12 decided to set out on its own. And the problem being, none of the presidents or chancellors, none of the people involved at conference headquarters had ever started a network before. So they made some mistakes, distribution included. And they've got no inventory now this season. All of these games prior to championship weekend are all going to be on ESPN. ESPN or Fox or FS1, so it's going to be leftovers, maybe one or two games at most for the Pac-12 Network, so I think it's pretty disappointing from a network standpoint. The Big Show, weekdays from 2 to 7 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Time for your feedback, everything you've been saying about today's show. North Shore Boy 23 just tweeted at us. Houston should not be a problem for the 14th-ranked team in the nation, not to mention the Heisman frontrunner, Zach Attack Wilson, and the national top receiver and maybe the fastest man alive in Gunnar Romney. BYU by 70, at least. Go Utes. 
<laughs> Utah Jazz fan, LA Dodgers, Utah State Aggies. Oh, Aggie. Okay, He's go an ahead. Aggie. Aggie fan, okay. Yeah. And from a place in Hawaii I've never heard of, Napoli, Hona, Kauai. Do you know where that is? Yeah, it's right. It's next to an area that has a bunch of vowels. Well, this, well, well done. Uh, uh, is it North Shore? So I'm assuming it's up on that North Shore. Glenn says, uh, I'm 65 to 70% confident for BYU. That's about my range. I would say 70-30 BYU wins this game. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty good confidence. Uh, <laughs> Shirtake says 60%. For some reason... I'm more worried about Houston than I am about Boise State. Because Houston's unknown. You just saw them beat Boise State? Well, BYU tends to play Boise State tough. I mean, they beat them last year, and then there's been a number of games up there, as you said earlier, that were heartbreakers. So it's a rivalry game, and it's taken on a life of rivalry to where, you know, you're not really sure the cliche, throw the records out and all that stuff. So you could see where that would be a, a, a close game and it's going to come down to a play or two because you have familiarity with that. Houston is a complete wild card, but yet we know about those Texas athletes. This Stevenson kid catching over 100 yards and receiving, he returns kickoffs left and right. It just screams dangerous. You know, there's well, Boise, you're getting the same kind of kids almost as BYU. So that familiarity, I think, would breed some, tor- some sort of uh, maybe more comfortable knowledge, knowing that it's going to be difficult to win there. Whereas Houston, who knows who they they have and how good they are. And they're coming from an area that you cast a net and you can reel in some big-time talent. Absolutely. Uh, Houston is uh, loaded with talent, which is why I think the whole speed thing resonates so much. It's like, yeah, well, they must – they must recruit fast guys every year. How could you not when you're recruiting, you know, in eastern Texas? Um, so BYU has played Houston a couple times and won them both. I know. Uh, but 33-25 at home and then a wild 47-46 game. Uh, I don't know. I just remember Taysom Hill having a huge game in that right. one, being and all so, over the place. And so you're talking about speed. Well, Taysom Hill has speed. Whatever you want to <laughs> think of him, <laughs> he's, got, he's speed. got speed, man. So you're thinking, wow, man, that look, look how much that took to, uh, to beat those guys. And we had probably our, most, uh, f- our fastest guy ever uh, that we've ever had, uh, at quarterback anyway, running around. And it still took all that. So I get it. Those were eight and five Houston teams. Those were decent Houston teams. Mm-hmm. Not, not great, but they were decent, eight and five. Those were nice years. So, and, and BYU won twice. So, I don't think we should be building Houston up to more than it is. I think we see them more when they're really good, and they've had a couple of 13-1 and one teams in this decade. So that sticks with us, but I'm not sure that's who this team is. I kind of doubt it. Sarcastic Merce says uh, BYU by 14. Well, that would cover. It's, uh, Vegas has them by 5.5. Yeah, obviously, that would more than cover. Uh, so... Yeah, it's it's a it's a great intriguing game right now. Whether it turns out to be a great game remains to be seen. But in terms of the intrigue, it's the best that we've got because the Aggies and the Utes aren't playing, and BYU's four and zero. 
DJ and PK, we are out of time. Scotty and Hands are coming up next. We'll see you tomorrow.